Welcome to week four of our series on the book of Hebrews. We're glad you're here today. Um, I, a few weeks ago, I, I texted um, a couple of our guys in our church and said, man, I, wa I want to hear you guys preach again. You guys did so well at seven minutes. I want to hear you guys preach again. And, and, I, and I, I tell you guys this all the time, but I like to sit on the front row. I like to listen to the, I like to listen to the word of God. And as I was sitting there on the front row, I got a text message. And when you're, on, when you're working on Sunday mornings, you got to keep your phone on. I got a text message that says, hey, we're coming tomorrow to clean up your trash cans. We're coming to clean up your trash cans tomorrow. I have a service that comes four times a year and they clean up my trash can. It's incredible. And I thought to myself as I was sitting there on the front rows, I'm so thankful that we have God's word that cleans us up every single week. And it doesn't clean us just up on Sunday, but God's word, it cleans us up every single day. The more you get into God's word, the more he can, he can clean you up and he doesn't have to send you a text message and remind you, I'm gonna remind you today that God's word, when you open it up, it begins to cleanse you. It begins to make you new and make you, make you whole. And one of the guys in my life that, that always brings scripture to me to clean up my heart and to clean up my life is, is, is Nelson. And I'm so thankful for the, for the man of God that he is. God brought him to our church in a timely season to, to encourage Diane and I and to bring, a, to bring a word to us. And so he's gonna preach to us today, but I wanna pray for him today. I was at a conference this past week and the, and the guy said basically that prayer brings the, prayer always brings the power and prayer always brings the presence. And sometimes I forget that. And sometimes I forget that. So I want God's presence to be here today. I know he already inhabits Nelson. He's gonna, he's gonna bring a powerful word, but would you join me in praying today as we pray for Nelson as he brings the word. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for all that you've done, Taylor. We're so thankful that a little power trip doesn't stop you from moving in our sure. church building. And that's some things that we think could bother us or slow us or distract us. God, you are here and you're in the midst of your people. So Lord, today we invite the power and we invite your presence to come into this place. And we pray you would change lives today. There are people that are coming here today, God, they need, they need something, God, and the something that they need is you. And they need to feel something, God. The thing that they need to feel is not a, it's not a, it's not a feeling, God. It's you, it's Jesus. It's, it's the manifestation of God on this earth. They need to feel you today, God. So Lord, I pray that you would fill up, uh, fill up Nelson today. Lord, I pray that he would spill Amen. out. Lord, I know he's full, God. I pray that you'd use him in, a, in, in, in an incredible way, God. I pray that you would speak to us, God. I pray that nobody would leave here today the way they came in. Yes, That's, we don't do this to do this. We don't do this so we can be the same, God. We do this because we want to be different, God. And we know that you can make us different. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the legacy of this man, God. I pray that you'd use him in an incredible way. We love you and we thank you. Hey, if you're excited for the word today, lean in and put your hands together for Nelson to bring a word to us today. Amen. Amen. Hey, I woke up to an incredible email, a text this morning. Thank you, Rob. Encouraged me so much. I'm really excited to share the word. Privilege, honor to speak to you. But hey, let's get right to it. Let's address the elephant in the room. I've been where you are many, many times. I come, get ready, get here on a Sunday morning expecting to hear Pastor West, and bing, bam, boom. We got a guest speaker. And if you're anything like me, you're disappointed, right? I'm disappointed when a guest speaker. Why? Because he's an amazing speaker, isn't he? He's a gifted, gifted communicator. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And you know what? If, you, if it's your first time here, make sure you come back next week. You want to hear him. No, serious. You want to hear him because you want to be encouraged. Incredible, incredible. So I tell you what, if you came here with the expectation of hearing Pastor West today, I want you to do something for me. I want you to lower your expectations. Yeah. No, really, lower your expectations. But I tell you what, if you came here to hear from Jesus Christ, then you just go ahead and raise your expectations right back up. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is in this place. How do I know? Because he promises in his word, we're two or more gathered together. I'm going to be there in, in their midst. So he's here, the Holy Spirit. He's in this place. And you know what? Jesus is better than Pastor West. Yeah, amen. Jesus is better than Nelson Bonilla. It's all about Jesus. So let's go ahead and acknowledge him right now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, 
We thank you for being here in our midst. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have free course in this place. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we behold wondrous things out of your word. And I pray that no one leaves here, diff- no one leaves here the same as they came in. I pray that we each leave here differently. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. So um, Wes has been teaching us how the writer of Hebrews has written this to Jewish Christians, right? And they're on the run, they're under distress, and they're under persecution. My wife Jenna and I, a few weeks ago, uh, we were back in Israel on vacation. And while we were there, we visited a city, Caesarea. And this is a city that Herod, uh, he built on the coast of the Mediterranean to give glory and honor to Caesar. And you know, they got a hippodrome and an amphitheater, and they used to run um, races, the, the chariot races, and there were gladiator games. And we walked through the cells, through the dungeons where Jewish Christians just like this were held. And you know what? They would take their children out and run them through with a spear. They would take them, throw them out in the arena, and there'd be gladiators that would cut them to pieces before killing them. They would throw them to wild beasts, uh, lions, tigers, bears, who would shred them to pieces, eat them alive while the crowds were cheering. I tell you what, you think you got it bad? They had it bad. And you know what? What happens? They did exactly what you or I would do when we're under distress. You know, when we're in danger, our family's in danger, we're in fear, we turn. We turn and we look back. We try to get back to a place of rest, a place where we used to be, and that's exactly what they did. And that's why Pastor Wes has been preaching how Jesus is greater than the angels, right? Week two, he preached how Jesus is a greater high priest. Week three, he preached about Jesus is greater than the, than the old covenant, the law, right? And today, we're going to see how Jesus is greater than Moses. And so today, we're going to look at three things real quick. Moses, God's house, and the place of rest. Moses, God's house, and the place of rest. So let's start with Moses. So why, why Moses? Why are they all, you know, so up on Moses? Well, when we were in Israel, we saw how important Moses is to these people, to the children of Israel. You know, the NBA started, I love the NBA. How many of you follow the NBA games this week? I love, love, love the NBA. So anyway, um, there's a big debate these days on who's the GOAT, right? Who's the greatest of all time? So uh, my son-in-law, Jerry, and his wife, uh, Michelle, my daughter, they have season tickets to the Magic Games, and every time, yeah, every once in a while, they get to rub elbows with players. And one time, they invited Jenny and me, and man, we were eating chicken wings and nachos with Bo Outlaw and Nick Anderson. Yeah, how cool is that? And so I took that opportunity to say, hey, who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? And they said exactly who I expected. They said, Michael Jordan. I was surprised the second they said Kobe. But, they said, but that's, that's to be expected because they played in that generation. It was very simple. You know, I got old school friends, guys who are older than me, if you could believe it. And they, yeah, and they, they're like Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. And I'm like, who's Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, right? But that's who they say. And then there's some, you know, young whippersnappers, snot-nosed kids around that they never saw Michael Jordan. You know the type, right? And they like LeBron, LeBron James. But you can make arguments over who's the greatest of, of all time in, in the NBA. But you know what? In the Old Testament, for the nation of, of Israel, there's, a, there's a, a, a Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament. There's three folks that they think of as the greatest of all time. That's Abraham, David, and Moses. All three men, God made a covenant with all three men. With Abraham, he said, hey, you're going to, from your seed, I'm going to create a great nation. As a matter of fact, from your seed, I'm going to bless all nations. Then he said to David, hey, you're king. 
From your seed, I'm going to have an everlasting king. Someday a Messiah is going to come from your seed, and he's going to be king forever. And then he said to Moses, hey, Moses, you're going to take the people out of Egypt. You're going to bring them to the promised land. I'm going to give them the law. If they follow my laws and if they obey me and serve me, I'll bless them like never before. And for many of them, Moses is the greatest of all time. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. What is it? The 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 not the Pentateuch, the, the Torah, the Torah. We were learning about that. So he wrote the first five books. Um, he took the children out of Israel. He brought them to Egypt. I mean, from Egypt, he brought them to Israel. And, uh, and, and for many, he's the greatest of all time. So let's, so let's look. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start reading. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are part- partners with those who Uh, those called to heaven. Think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. Interesting, God's messenger. That word in the original is apostolos. In some of the versions, they actually translate it apostle, and 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 it really means a delegate or ambassador. You know, just like we send delegates from our nation to other countries to represent our nation, we have a delegate in heaven representing our interests. Jesus Christ is in heaven representing our interests. It also says he's the high priest, just like the high priest used to pour the blood of the sacrifice uh, in, the, in the Holy of Holies on the altar, Jesus is representing us, and he poured out his own blood. We have a representative. We have a, a, a high priest. We have an ambassador. And then in verse 2, it says, for he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he entrusted, when he was entrusted with God's entire house. We're going to look at God's house later. But Jesus deserves, deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. So, so he's saying, hey, Moses is great. Moses is, is awesome, but Jesus is better, just like the person who, who builds a house is greater than the house, right? So if you or I, if we were stuck on a deserted island, there's two things we would want. We would want food, and we would want shelter. If you were stuck on an island, how nice would it be to have a fish? But how much greater would it be to have a fisherman? Right? If we, were, if we had shelter, that would be awesome. How much greater would it be if we had someone who builds shelters? You know, I don't see Joel here, but Joel's always wearing Jordans. You know, wouldn't it be nice to have Jordans? But you know, how nice would it be to, to be friends with, with Michael Jordan, right? To be at his house, to, to be in his luxury box, to go golfing. Man, Jordan is better than Jordans. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. And in verse 5, it says, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration to the truths God would reveal later. Moses was an illustration. Pastor's always telling us the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus. Everything points to Jesus, and that's exactly what Moses. Moses was a picture of Jesus. I'm going to tell you a few. There's many, many more. You could look them up on the Internet. Uh, You could Google it. But here's just some some ways that Moses and Jesus were similar. As children... Each escaped the mass murder of babies. You remember Pharaoh? He ordered the male children, two and under, to be killed, and Moses escaped. Remember Herod? He wanted to kill Jesus, and he ordered the the children in Israel that were males, two and under, to be killed, and Jesus escaped, right? Both gave up a royal kingdom to rescue their people. Moses was the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He was in the kingdom, and he left that luxury in order to serve his people. Jesus was in his kingdom in heaven. He left that luxurious kingdom to come to serve us. Yes, both, both uh, freed their people from slavery. Moses from slavery in Egypt, Jesus from slavery of sin. Both offered themselves to die for the people. There was a time when the people who followed Moses, they were rebellious and God was going to wipe them out. And Moses said, hey, you know what? Take me, kill me. 
and God spared all of them. You know, Jesus, he said, take me, and he died. You know why? Because he's better than Moses. He died for you and me. Yeah. You know, Moses was a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Mo you know, both performed miracles. Moses turned water into blood, but Jesus turned water into wine. The, but you got to remember, Moses was just a picture. Jesus was the real thing. So I got some pictures up. I hope they're up there. If you could bring them up. Uh, this, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. So anyway, um, so here's the thing. That, that, that word, that word um, uh, uh, being an illustration, it's, it's actually, is a, it's, it's the, the word means evidence or testimony. It's kind of like what we bring in court. It's not only a picture, it's actually a legal term, evidence or testimony. So here what we see is some pictures. These are evidence, right? So last week, last week uh, we, uh, we were doing Dream Team, and Brooke, Brooke Fillmore, she always puts Jenny on the inside in the air conditioner and me out in the heat. Now, Brooke... I don't know where you are, but if you ever want to flip that, I'm okay with that. But anyway, but Jenny's on the inside, and she keeps an eye on me because she knows if she's not looking, I'm going to talk about her, right? So, so I was talking to some ladies, right? I was talking to some ladies, and I was telling them, hey, you know that, Jenny? She gets mad at me every single day. Every day she gets mad at me. And not only that, she tells me, I'm not talking to you. Don't talk to me. I'm not making this up. She says that to me. Now, what, guys, what do you do when someone's mad, when your wife's mad at you? What do you got to do get, to get it right, right? What do you you know, not walk away. You got to apologize, right? You got to apologize. Apologies don't work with Jenny. She doesn't forgive for apologies. There's only one thing that will work is if I make her laugh. It's true. I'm not making this up. You could ask my, wait, are you mad? Oh, don't, don't worry. I'm going to get her laughing before we get to the car. But anyway, if I make her laugh, she forgives me. So this is what you're seeing in these photos. You're seeing her trying to stay mad. She knows I'm going to try to make her laugh. Go ahead. You can break up the next ones. Yeah, oh, and here we go. This is on a plane. Can you believe this? Man, ladies, don't ever get mad on your, when your husband's on a plane. Man, they can't go anywhere, man. You got to. So there I am trying to make her laugh on a plane. But here's what this is. This is evidence. This is proof. These are photos. These are photos of things that happened in the past, right? Duh. Every photo you've ever seen is of something that happened in the past, right? As a matter of fact, every, every eyewitness testimony you ever heard in court was of something that happened. You can't give eyewitness testimony of something's going to happen in the future. No, we can't, but God can. And we here see here that Moses was an illustration. He was a picture of something that would happen 1,600 years later. The books of Moses, Moses wrote those five books later, 1,600 years later. We read that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 16, how, how does that happen that someone is created so perfectly to match something 1,600 years later? It's because God wrote the book. He wrote the book. It was God-breathed. And you and I can have confidence in our faith in Jesus because God wrote the book because he proves himself over and over again. So yes, Jesus is just a picture. Jesus is, I'm sorry, Moses is just a picture. I'm sorry. So I want to encourage you with, this, with these words. Never be satisfied with just an image of what God has for you. Never be satisfied with just an image. You know, Hope Church, I love Hope Church. It's a little bit of heaven, isn't it? My family, my sisters here, Ilsa, my kids, my wife, family, a little bit of heaven. Living in Winter Garden, going to Disney, it's a little bit of heaven. But you know what? It's not heaven. It's not heaven. And the Bible says, what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Man, don't be satisfied with a taste of heaven. You got to be satisfied with heaven. You got to get everything that God has come into you. Don't be satisfied with just a picture. So that's Moses. We're going to go on. Let's go to God's house. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. God made the house. He's the house builder, and he built us, and you're the house, it says. We are God's house. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Do you get that? God created you perfectly to accomplish what he has for you. Now, some of you are here saying, I'm not perfect. God didn't make me perfect. I got flaws. As a matter of fact, some of you are probably angry with God. How come you didn't make me like this person who's wealthy or like that person who has amazing talents? Yeah, or maybe you have some imperfections in your life. And why did you, you, God made a mistake. He must have made a mistake. You know, I work in an in a engineering company, and for a long time I was a design engineer. I designed new products. And I'd have a family of products, and sometimes we had products that were old, 40, 50 years old, and they needed a refresh. And before we retooled them, what we would do is we would look at the drawings, we'd look at the parts to see if we could make them improved. And sometimes we would see things in the parts. So there might be a piece of metal with a dimple or some scratch marks or shear. And the engineers would get around and say, why is that there? And, and we would say, maybe, it, maybe the tool broke and they welded it, or maybe there's a feature that they used to use a long time ago, but it's not necessary anymore. And you know what we do? We would take out what we think were flaws, and we release this new product, and you know what happens? We start getting failures. Product returns. Why? Because those weren't flaws. They were features. And all of a sudden, we find out that that dimple that was there so that a part wouldn't vibrate or that shear or scratches so a part wouldn't slip through the, that place. And then we'd realize those weren't flaws. Those were features. And I got news for you. This is the same for you and me. You're looking at God and you're thinking you made flaws. No, they're features. Have you ever seen Nick Vujicic? Nick Vujicic, his picture's up there. What an amazing speaker. What a man of God. Jenny and I were listening to him a couple of weeks ago. You know what he said? He said for seven years he was complaining to God. Why'd you make me this way? You made me flawed. Why don't I have arms and legs like other people? You made a mistake. And he said when he was 15 years old, he went and he read this verse in John chapter 9. You know the story. The, the, the disciples are walking with Jesus and they see a blind man. He was blind from birth. And they said, who sinned, this man or his, or his parents? And he said, he's not blind because they sinned or because he sinned. He said, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Nick Vujicic said he read that and at that moment, the light bulb came on. I'm not floored. This is what God gave me so that I could bring him glory and honor. And from that point forward, he started preaching. You know, he's got a, he's got a ministry, Life Without Limits. He said he has preached to hundreds of millions of people. He says he has personal testimony, written and verbal, of more than half a million people who have come to know Christ, who got saved because of his preaching, all because he embraced what God gave him. He's not imperfect. If he had arms and legs, he'd never have that influence. God made him perfect for just the, what he wanted him to accomplish. And I'm telling you right now, you think you're flawed? You're not flawed. God made you perfect. He has a plan for you. You need to embrace what you think are flaws and go out and serve God with all your heart. So remember, you are God's creation, perfectly designed and built to, to, to fulfill God's purpose. You are God's creation. He doesn't make mistakes. He made you exactly the way you are for his purpose. So we looked at Moses. We looked at God's house. And now let's look at this place of rest. Place of rest. Hebrews 3.16 says, and who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? 
Wasn't it the people who Moses he led out of Egypt? So, so, so they rebelled, right? Hebrews 3.19 says, So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. So the people rebelled, and, and he, God, had, God had plans for them to leave the, the slavery and to go to a place of rest, the, the promised land, right? And, and God had planned for them to get there, but, but they didn't get there. Why? Because of their disobedience. They, as soon as they left, they were complaining about food, about water. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving instructions from God. And what are they doing at the base of the mountain? Building a golden calf and worshiping an idol. Over and over on several occasions, they rebel against Moses, looking to overthrow him, to go back to Egypt. Even his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, even they turned their back on Moses and God had to punish them. And here's the worst case, man. They're ready to get into the promised land. They send 12 spies into the promised land. The 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, well, everybody says, hey, it's a wonderful land. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything God said. But 10 of them said, we can't go in. The army's over there. They're too strong. We can't get in. As a matter of fact, there's giants in the land. Only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey, we could do it. God is with us. We could go. We could take the land. And you know what the people did? They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. They disobeyed. And because of their disobedience, they didn't get into the place of rest. That generation never made it in. They had to wait for the next generation to go in. A, a trip that should have taken them two weeks took them 40 years. Why? Because they disobeyed. And here's the thing. That place of rest, that promise is not just for them. That's for you and me as well. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. You know, it still stands today, that place of rest. Hebrews 4, 6 says, so God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time, this is amazing, for entering his rest. And that time is what? Today. That's a promise for you and me. We can enter the place of rest. You know, they failed, but we could get there. As a matter of fact, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's a promise for you and me today. But you know the problem is, some of us today, we're, we're in the wilderness, right? You're walking through the wilderness. Man, you left Egypt, you're saved, you're born again, but you're walking in the wilderness. And I got news for you. You know what? Jenny and I, we've been around the block a few times. You know, we've been through the wilderness on many occasions, and I stand here confident to tell you that he'll get you through because he gets us through every time. Every time we've been through. I'll give you an example. When Danielle, my younger daughter, when she was, uh, when she was between one and two years old, we started seeing a problem. We didn't, we didn't recognize it, but she stopped speaking, and, uh, and she used to have these just terrible screaming terrors. Nothing would take that away. Nothing would stop it. The only thing that, we'd put a tape of Cinderella. That's the only thing would calm her down. She would do things repetitively. She'd get on my chest and she'd take my fingers and she would do this. If I'd let her, she would do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just repetitively. We didn't know what was going on. We tried child psychologists. They didn't know. They sent us to neurologists. And eventually we got back the, the, uh, the diagnosis that she was severely autistic. Now, many of you today, you know, you know autism, right? We have friends, family. There's people in this church have autistic children. You know, today, I hear it's 1 in 59 children are diagnosed autistic. Back then, they told us it was 1 in 10,000. We didn't know anybody who had autism. Man, we had to read books. The doctors were talking to us. We were, and we found ourselves in a tremendous uh, a season uh, in the wilderness. And, uh, and you know what? The doctors said, the doctors told us, hey, 
She's severely, there's levels of autism. She's severely autistic. You better expect that she'll live with you forever. She's never going to finish school. She's never going to graduate from high school or college. She's, she's not going to have a job. As a matter of fact, it'd be a big deal if she could order from the menu at, at McDonald's. That's what they told us. And you know what? God gave Jenny, my wife, he gave her a hope. A kind of a, a, a vision of that place of rest. She was reading in, in, uh, in First Chronicles, and she was reading about Jabez. And, uh, and, and she, there's just two verses, and it says that, that Jabez's mother, mother named him Jabez because, because he was going to bring pain. And he said, God, I don't want to bring pain. I want to be a blessing. Expand my coast. And it says that God answered his prayers. And Jenny read that, and she said, Danielle's going to be healed. She comes to me with the Bible. She says, hey, God told me Danielle's going to be healed. You know what? I read those verses and I said, I don't see it. I'm not getting it. She said, it's right there. I said, I'm, I read it a dozen times. I don't see Danielle's going to get healed. And she said, it's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, hey, you better be careful. I was angry. I, I confess. I was angry. I was like, you better be careful. You, if, if God doesn't heal her, you're going to go through a tremendous test. And she said, I don't care. God's going to heal her. You know? So you know what happened? Uh, you know, we were going through that. And little by little, God began to show me like the haze would clear. And I started to see little signs of that place of rest. The first one was in, in church. She would go to Sunday school and she would be disruptive. And she, we had, she had an awesome Sunday school teacher. We told her, hey, should we take her out? She says, no, you leave her here. I love her. And you know, one day that Sunday school teacher come running to us after church. She said, you never believe what happened. I said, what? She said, Danielle answered a question in Sunday school. I said, that's impossible. True. I said, she must have she just blurted out a word and got lucky. Yeah, Moses got lucky. That's what I thought. I'm being honest. And then, you know what? Danielle, she didn't have any motor skills. She couldn't draw a circle. I used to take her finger with my pen, and I used to draw a circle and draw a smiley face. And she would smile. One day, I come home, and this painting right here is on my dining room table. Maybe you guys in the back can't see it, but it's a nice house, a child playing in the front yard, garage, a car, a tree. It's clearly my house in Connecticut. And so, yeah, no, clearly. It's like a picture. So I thought that Michelle, Michelle was always an awesome artist. So I thought Michelle painted it. So I took that painting. I'm looking at it. I hear Jenny in the kitchen. I said, Jenny, this is a great painting Michelle painted. My wife comes out of the kitchen crying. I was like, what happened? She said, Michelle didn't paint that. Danielle painted that. I said, what? I said, it's impossible. But you know, it's at that moment that I started to believe that there was a place of rest. And you know what? Yeah, we had her in special ed, kindergarten and first grade. I don't have enough time to tell you, but, but when, when, when at the end of first grade, the teachers called us in and said, hey, something amazing's happened. We don't know. We've never seen this. But she said, she's made tremendous advancements. We're going to make a suggestion to you that we've never made. We're going to suggest that you mainstream her. You know, she's not going to be an A student, but we think that she could cope in mainstream. So we took her out and we put her in mainstream. And you, and you can bring up the pictures here. So, so now, this is years later. There she is. I, maybe you're not seeing it. Graduating from high school, graduating from college. You see that high school picture? If it's up, if you see that high school picture, she's got a medal. You know what that medal is? She was class valedictorian. She was number one in her, in her class. Four point who knows what average. And she gave a speech to those students for valedictorian speech. And she said, you know what? When I was a child, they, they, they labeled me autistic. They said I'd never finish school. They said I wouldn't hold a job. I'd be lucky if I could order at McDonald's. And she said, you know what? They were wrong. And she said, don't let anybody label you. 
She said, she said, don't let anybody tell you who you are. You are who God says you are. And she said to them, hey, you can do great things, mighty things for God. You are who God says you are. And you know what? That message wasn't just for them. That message is for you and me, you and I. We are who God says we are. We can accomplish anything. So I want to encourage you, stop looking back. The place of rest is not behind you. It's before you. Keep pushing forward. And just like me, the haze will start getting a little clear, and you'll start seeing that place of rest. So these three things, as West, Pastor West comes up and prepares to, to close, I just want to remind you these three things. Don't be satisfied with just the picture. God has more for you than just a picture. You are God's house. You're built and designed perfectly. Those things you think are flaws are features. Embrace them and use them for God. And then lastly, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. That place of rest is before you. Hey, I just want to tell you I love you. God bless you. And I want to see you do great things and mighty for God. Amen. Thank you.